Hello and welcome to the Pilgrim Way. My name is Norman Graham and I'm a minister in the Baptist Union of Churches in Scotland. The aim of these signposts is to try and help to connect the text of the Bible with our everyday lives. In our previous signposts, we focused on the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. It's a commandment that calls us all to have an exclusive loyalty to the God of the Bible and to give him the place of first or ultimate priority in our lives. It's an uncompromising and difficult command, but uh, one that's necessary if we are truly going to walk in the way of Jesus as disciples of Christ. Today I want to change gear a little bit by focusing not on a single verse, but on two entire books of the Bible, Judges and Ruth. And I just want to read a few verses from Judges chapter 2, verses 10 to 19. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he'd done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, The hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshipping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Well, in Exodus, God gave the Ten Commandments to the people and it became immediately apparent even before Moses got down the mountain with them that the people couldn't obey them. For when he got back to the camp, they were already uh, worshipping a golden calf that they had made themselves. One of the consequences of that idolatry was that instead of heading directly into the Promised Land, they ended up wandering through the wilderness for 40 years until the whole generation involved in the worship of the golden calf was dead. In the period covered by the judges, the sin of the Israelites only increased. Not only had they failed to completely drive out the Canaanites from the land as God had commanded, but they also intermixed with them, adopting some of their religious beliefs and practices. And so the days of the judges were characterised by international as well as national political and social turmoil in which no one nation dominated the region. It was a time of chaos. In Judges, we see a repeated cycle of events of the sin of the people, uh, servitude to an enemy, uh, supplication to God, and finally uh, salvation as God delivers them. The people of Israel abandoned their covenant with God, they disobeyed his commands and the terms of the covenant, resulting in judgment of God against them, most often in the form of an invading army. 
And eventually the people turn back to God, repenting of their sinful behaviour, and they call out to God for deliverance. And in response to the repentance, God raises up a judge to deliver them. And normally this was followed by a period of faithfulness to the covenant, but eventually the people would slip back into idolatry and then the whole cycle would be repeated once more. And the passage that I, I read kind of uh, encapsulates uh, that cycle. But Judges can be split into three distinct parts. Uh, chapters 1 verse 1 through to chapter 3 verse 6 summarises the whole period by noting that the generation after Joshua who led them into the promised land did not keep the covenant that they'd made with God. In particular, it was their failure to completely eradicate the Canaanites from the land that ultimately led them on the slippery slope from complacency and tolerance to outright disobedience and apostasy as they participated in the pagan worship of the Canaanites and worshipped all their uh, idolatrous gods. The second part, Judges chapter 3 verse 7 through to chapter 16 verse 31, describes how things worsened, especially among those who were meant to be leading the people. Nothing negative is said about the first judge, Othniel, because he fully trusted and obeyed God. But each successive judge becomes less admirable, less faithful. For example, Gideon the fifth judge is a real mixed bag of virtue and vice. By the time we get to Samson, the 13th judge, almost nothing good is said about him. He did not seek to promote faithfulness to the covenant. He was a morally weak man who in the end killed the Philistines, not so much for God's glory, but rather for personal revenge. And the final part of Judges chapter 17 to 21 describes the eventual disintegration of Israelite society where moral chaos prevailed among the people who were supposed to model a redeemed society for the rest of the world, for the surrounding nations. But this time it was the fault of the religious leaders who failed to obey God's commands themselves and therefore also failed to teach God's law to the people. And the moral disintegration of the nation is particularly reflected in the way that women were treated in these final chapters. They are treated as non-persons with no rights, subject to violence and rape and murder. Israelite society by this time had lost all sense of decency and justice. And so it's no surprise that the most repeated phrase in the book of the Judges is that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's long been noted by preachers that the social disintegration resulting from abandoning God and judges is very similar to the situation that we find ourselves in today. For like Israel in the time of the judges, we also live in an age when, in a sense, there is no king. I know that seems an odd thing to say in the year of the coronation of King Charles III, but in ancient times the king ruled supreme and represented justice. In 1 Kings 3, for example, there's a story of the two women who both claim that a baby is theirs and it is to Solomon the king that they come seeking justice for their claim. And it's the wisdom of the king that leads to justice for the child's true mother. Now, one of the roles of the king in dispensing justice was to protect the innocent and punish the guilty. And so when it says that there was no king, what it's really saying is that uh, you know, that there, there was no justice, um, the guilty weren't punished, 
uh, and the innocent weren't protected. The Book of Judges repeatedly affirms that at this point in Israelite society, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And the same could be said of the United Kingdom today, that we too live in a time when everyone does what is right in their own eyes. The present age is described by com social commentators as the kind of postmodern age, although we might be slightly beyond that. Uh, it's characterised by a rejection of absolutes, particularly the idea of absolute truth or absolute authority. In other words, something is only right or wrong if you believe that it's right or wrong, and your beliefs and your truth have no more and no less authority or relevance than anyone else's beliefs, even when all those beliefs are contradictory. Postmodernism celebrates the individual and the individual's right to do what they think is right without being subject to the authority or moral dogma of the old order, that is the old order of church and family. Unfortunately, the approach of just do what seems right to you it didn't work in the time of judges and it's not working in the 21st century either. Western societies have become defined by the breakdown of family and community life, as well as a growing sense of social isolation, rising crime and violence, sexual immorality, where women and children are treated no better than they were in the days of the judges. Primary school aged children and very young teens are now committing crimes that a few decades ago would have been unthinkable and it's not uncommon to hear of kids in these age groups commit crimes of violence, rape and even murder. A few years ago, a nine-year-old girl was cautioned by the police for sending death threats to another nine-year-old via an online blog. Although there is a great difference of opinion as to the, the cause of the moral breakdown in our society, no one seriously claims that we are not in the midst of such a crisis. So when we read Judges, we connect with it, uh, for in some ways it's like looking in a mirror. The book of Judges ends very pessimistically as it describes a people who are rotten to the core and who because of their immorality are hastening their own destruction. It serves as a warning for our generation. The moral framework of our society has collapsed or best you could say it's collapsing to the point that many people are no longer able to distinguish between right and wrong. If we are left wondering what hope there is for our nation, then we can take comfort from the Bible because even in the midst of the chaos of judges, there were godly people in Israel who were wondering the same thing. And the answer to their questions was right there among them all, all along, for the book of Judges is followed by the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is set in the time of the judges and the main characters in Ruth are meant to offer a moral contrast to the rebellious, idolatrous and wicked people that judges speaks of. In a time of lawlessness, violence and greed, the integrity, honesty and morality of characters like Boaz and Ruth stands out. In the case of Boaz, it's seen especially in how he treats Ruth. For not only is she a woman, and women were treated very badly in Israel in these days, but she is a foreigner for whom Jews had no regard at all. In fact, they lived in open hostility and hatred to people from the surrounding nations. In Ruth chapter 2, Boaz not only invites Ruth to glean in his fields, thereby ensuring that, that she and Naomi will have food to eat, 
He also instructs his workers not to touch her, by which he means that they have not to rape her or sexually harass or assault her. In this stage in the story, Boaz has nothing to gain by offering her such protection and assistance. He does it simply because it is the right thing to do. It is what God would have him do. And as such, Boaz is an admirable figure in this drama. Some might say a Christ-like figure. The connection between Ruth and Judges is not simply that the moral integrity of Ruth provides a contrast with the moral social disintegration of, uh, of Judges. The book of Judges doesn't just describe a people who are in danger of destroying themselves by their moral fa failure. It also hints that there are better days to come. When we read in Judges the phrase that everyone did what was right in their own eyes, it's often linked with a statement that there was no king in Israel. It's as though the writer sees the monarchy as a solution to the anarchy that prevails in the absence of a king. So the final part of Judges in particular prepares the people for kingship in Israel. But along with 1 Samuel which follows on from Ruth, it hints that not just any king will do. The answer to moral chaos is the right kind of king, God's choice of king. In the book of Judges, if the book of Judges is very much a book for our time, then so is the book of Ruth because the two are so intimately entwined. The book of Ruth, set in the midst of the context of all that was going on in Judges, closes with the beginning of the royal line of David. In other words, Ruth names the king the book of Judges is looking for. The story of Ruth is, in a sense, an enacted parable that's designed to illustrate that in the midst of religious, moral and societal collapse, God has not forgotten or withdrawn his redemptive plan. In all the apostasy and degeneracy, God was at work in the least likely circumstances and people to accomplish his purposes. Ruth gives us hope when all hope seems lost. Although David is described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart, nonetheless 1 and 2 Simon present David as a flawed king who didn't fully obey the Lord. David was a good shepherd to Israel. He was a good king but he didn't always care for the sheep. He not only committed adultery, but also murder. And so Samuel looks forward to a descendant of David's who would lay down his life for the sins of the sheep, his people. And so we have to fast forward throughout history from Judges through Ruth and Samuel and on to another time and another situation where all hope seemed lost. Yet where, despite all evidence to the contrary, God was at work fulfilling his redemptive purpose for us. The king of God's choosing would come. He would be the good shepherd who would give his life for the sheep, his people. Contrary to human expectation and reason, God took on the frailty and vulnerability of human flesh as a baby in the very town where the story of Ruth takes place. Contrary to human expectation and reason, God, through the apparent failure and futility of the cross, took upon himself the sins of the world. Contrary to human expectation and reason, God defeated death in the resurrection of Jesus. The book of Ruth, set as it is in the midst of the chaos and anarchy of the time of the judges, reminds us 
that God is always at work around us, even when there is little or no evidence to that effect. He's always at work fulfilling his plans and purposes. His purpose for us isn't swayed by uh, political or change or social change or economic crises. It doesn't derail his plans and purposes for us. And yes, we can look around us and say our society is in a mess morally and spiritually. I mean, who would really doubt it these days? Perhaps we might even be willing to admit that our own lives are in a mess. But God is at work, often in surprising ways, ways that are not immediately obvious or apparent. Just as in the time of Ruth, he's at work in the lives of ordinary people in their ordinary, everyday circumstances, fulfilling his purposes for us. So let's not despair. It's hard to see how we can get out of the mess that we're in. But we should not despair. We can have hope. Let's follow the example of people like Ruth and Boaz, who despite the circumstances all around them, place their hope and trust in God. If we will do that in our ordinary everyday lives, ordinary people as we are, just like them, if we do that, then who knows what God will do in and through our ordinary lives. Thanks for listening.